Welcome to the new Irish Writing Podcast on independent.ie. My name is Dermot Bulger. New Irish Writing, an acclaimed platform for emerging talent, has appeared in a national newspaper ever since being launched by David Marcus in 1968. It has now returned to the Irish Independent, edited by Kieran Carty, who has been the editor of the page since 1989. Hundreds of writers who were given their first chance to new Irish writing have since gone on to publish their first books, with many becoming leading figures in Irish literature. They include Anne Enright, Neil Jordan, Paula Mean, Joseph O'Connor, Colin McCann, Verona Gork, myself, Dermot Bulger, Mike McCormick, Sarah Bourne, Bernard McLaverty, Sebastian Barry, Dirty Madden, John Byne, Anthony Glavin, and many others. In a new initiative by the Irish Independent, New Irish Writing now invites the writer of each selected story to give a podcast reading of the work. Here is this month's story. Mustard and Custard by Alexandra Tyndale The eyes won't open at first. They are tight and crispy like sealed snails. In here, behind the lids, it is mud-red. New air moves in the room. It must be morning. The arms swing up and the fingers begin unsticking the lids, picking at the crusts as though peeling boiled eggs. Eventually, the effort reveals a rectangle of sunlight on the bleached side of the wardrobe, a breath from the open window faintly lifting the net curtain, and a blue bottle rotating robotically on the yellowing lampshade beside the bed. The body heaves upwards, slugs the legs out, and the feet reach the carpet. I consider the toenails. They are long, I think, like a dragon's claws. It takes time, but the dragon feet deliver me to the bathroom. The right hand shrugs the penis out over the elastic of the pyjamas. The bladder is full and empties loudly into the toilet bowl, colouring it yellow like the lampshade. The body gets dressed. When it's done, the legs shuffle me towards the office for the tablets. Celeste and Roy are in there. Good morning, Michael. The face makes a smile. Have you had breakfast yet? Celeste flicks the red medication folder open. We follow the same sequence every morning. Every week, every month, for years. The mouth says, no. She twirls towards the cabinet with her bunch of keys. Well, make sure you have something soon, won't you? She hands me the pills. The hand reaches out and puts the two Seroquel in the mouth. The tongue pushes them up and down. Then the jaw drops open automatically to display emptiness. Good job! Celeste ticks with her biro and day has begun. The stomach is shouting. I go for three Weetabix. The mouth sends it all down. The hand throws both bowl and spoon into the sink, and the eyes read the notice, please wash up after you, above the taps, but no connection is made. The day is spent like every other, standing by the radiator in the hall, the back of the thighs pressing against the heated metal. At lunchtime, Roy guides the body across the road to buy a box of greasy chicken and chips. The legs hesitate like always, jigging at the sight of the traffic. 
A group go past laughing, jeans clinging halfway down their buttocks, phones in hands. Some have big white headphones wrapped over their heads. One shouts, wanker, at a passing car and twists his cap round backwards on his scalp. I am seasick. We're not on a boat, Michael. Roy smiles and keeps his hand behind the elbow until we are returned. Later, Celeste walks through the hall. Afternoon, Michael. I hear a grunt come out of my chest. This is Violet. She's a horticulturist, here to brighten up the garden. Perhaps you'd like to help her. The smiling woman beside Celeste has wild orange hair in a heap on her head. I hear the mouth say, no, 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 not me, and a laugh dribbles out. They move on. There is a clicking sound. The eyes look down. The long nail on the forefinger is flicking itself against the thumbnail. I notice that the fingernails are also yellow like the lampshade. Each time the lounge door opens, the eyes have a clear view through to the garden. Some residents have been galvanised to help. Stuttering Richard and the fat woman with the dripping nose stand outside, hunched like wet crows on a wire, watching the orange-haired woman take out her trowels and spades. The dragon feet return me to the room to lie down. Outside, the urban soundtrack hums relentlessly. The eyes look up. The blue bottle is circling around the light shade, upsetting the dust. Days turn into other days. The body adopts a new position, the lounge radiator, so the eyes can watch the orange-haired woman. She wedges the glass doors to the garden ajar, inviting. She is busy for a long time, picking out cigarette butts, then filling the empty raised beds with bags of soil she has brought in on a trolley. Her frizzy hair is a marmalade halo. I wonder if she has read the files yet. The neck twists awkwardly. I know well what she will see. The care plans. Annual psychiatric reports. Personal history. Born in Wexford. Presented as quiet. Verbally abusive. Mother's concerns. Aggressive. Withdrawn. Disturbed. House fire. Estranged parents. She'll see black and white and she will colour in. The lids close in a wince. Pictures flutter inside against them. Cut hair falling to the kitchen lino. A sheep's horn in my hands. Pink roses in Nan's garden in Dingle. A TV ad for shampoo. Custard and sick. His mustard and ham sandwich half-eaten. Smashed furniture. Boxes of matches. Fire. The taste of the smoke and all the time here in the lounge. The strip light above me is blinking and buzzing like a wasp. The hands go up, rendering a couple of thuds on both sides of the head to shift the sound, like thousands of seeds spilling in the ears. I wonder if that godforsaken blue bottle is in there somehow, violating the contents of the skull. Enjoying the radiator, Michael? She says this one morning as she passes. It's a surprise to feel the head nodding eagerly. 
I'm planting these in today. She gestures towards the basket she is carrying. I recognise the foliage as lavender. The dragon feet stay rooted in the plastic shoes, but the eyes follow her and there is the faintest tremor of temptation in the legs. A week goes into other weeks and the body strays through the lounge, hovers in the doorway to the garden, the face immersed in sunlight, watching her work alone. She has transformed the concrete space outside. There are plants and flowers in clusters of colour. Paprika, scarlet and rust-red dahlias dance together. The mouth says, Dahlias, aloud, and she turns and smiles. Dahlias, yes, that's right. I'm glad you've come out to see. The legs edge around the beds, bringing the body closer to the foliage, the colours and the scent. Foxgloves stand proudly beside mallows and brilliant gladioli. Bees come, benign butterflies land, and the heart stays slow. The chest pulls in swells of perfumed air. There is a rose. The eyes watch it for a long time. The orange-haired woman moves closer, a dirty trowel in her hand. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's an old-fashioned climbing rose, exquisite fragrance. The eyes dare a glance at her neck, the skin pale like dough. She replaces wayward hair over her head with her forearm. I find I am outside more now than I am by the radiator. I am pulled by the flowers, and maybe more. The eyes watch her, her shoulders moving under her t-shirt like a baker's hands, the lightest rain conjuring curls around her small, glistening face. The eyes travel down her back and lower still and the throat looks for spit to swallow. One day, she doesn't come. The day after that, she doesn't come either. That evening, the feet go to the office for the evening Floridix and Zopiclone. Stuttering Richard is there, sequestering cigarettes. He slopes out. I hear the voice asking, Is Violet coming tomorrow? Celeste closes the medication folder solemnly, then swivels in her office chair to face me. No, Michael, her funding was just for six weeks. I think you were asleep when she said her goodbyes. It's up to all the staff and residents to maintain the garden now. It looks wonderful, doesn't it? Bad form descends in around the neck and shoulders. The legs lug me up and down the corridors for hours, then escort me into the television room. The dripping nose woman is in there, with a huge handbag and an open packet of ham on her lap. I hear the throat clear itself, as though some vocal response might be expected, but she doesn't look up. Perhaps I'm invisible. I consider the seats. There is one tolerable one. The rump goes down into it, a pale puff of dust emitting from both sides. I am certain she is staring at me. The eyes fling a glance over, but she is engrossed in the TV, pushing the meat into the hanging hole of her mouth, fingers rolling the ham slices like a spider wrapping flies. The left knee judders up and down. 
the breath clamps in the throat. An advertisement on the TV for a mobile phone network says, Let's stay in touch! And the left eye begins its twitchy dance. I am certain now that she is watching me. Sweat rises like blisters over the forehead and the glutes clench. The head refuses to turn. Finally, the eyeballs betray me, swivelling to face her. But she is still only focused on the TV screen. The body springs up, huffs out and back to the room to lie down. The head twists on the pillow and the eyes see that the blue bottle has drowned itself in a glass of water by the bed. Night comes and darkness bleeds in like spilt wine. The dreams come as if from very far away, floating closer. I am touching moss in soft rain. A cow's muzzle sprays steam on my face. There are roses, deeply perfumed. I am swimming in stifling heat and stickiness, feeling as if I am coming up on something, maybe. <gasps> the lungs suck in violently and the lids flick open wide. I am awake. It is navy, so I know it must be night. A street-cleaning vehicle trundles past outside, flashing orange light through the curtains. The legs are restless. The body almost topples out onto the stained carpet. In the hallway, a light blinks over the fire exit door. The lounge is empty. Silverfish run like beads of mercury towards the skirting boards. The hand opens the glass doors into the night. The nose smells wet leaves and disturbed soil. The flowers are mostly sleeping. The ears hear their quiet breathing. The wooden bench is damp, but the rump lands anyway, and the legs hoof themselves up. The top half twists to lie down, the back of the head making contact with the hard wood, hands resting by the waist. The feet flop outwards, defeated. Above, the glow of the city fills the sky with leucosade colour. A margarine moon sits in it. The ears catch a sound, so the head turns 90 degrees to the right. A fox is standing in the middle of the garden. It sees me. Stops and tenses, standing rigid. Damp lifts from its fur like steam from hot tea. Both our breaths pull in, hard and fast. The yellowy eyes regard me carefully before it dips its back down low and creeps slowly forwards. The voice comes out, calm and certain. I know what you want. You want the answer they all want. The fox pauses, surprised. Its snout checks the air. Did I mean to do it? Did I light that fire deliberately? It cocks its head then, and I think of Violet, the orange-haired woman. The face unpeels a smile at the thought of her. Suddenly the body springs upright and the fox scarpers, its feet landing silently as it leaps from a raised bed and up over the wall, 
the tail disappearing last, a final, bushy salute. The dragon feet take me over to the rose. The fingertips reach out and stroke it tenderly, lovingly. The palm tracks around the flower, cupping it, before ripping it roughly from the stem. A fist forms. It squeezes the petals brutally before releasing, letting them flutter like flakes of blood to the paving stones. The dragon feet shuffle back towards the building, the eyes turning once to face the garden before closing the glass doors. The truth is, Violet, I don't even know. New Irish Writing, edited by Kieran Carty and appearing in the Irish Independent on the first Saturday of each month, is open to writers who are Irish or resident in Ireland. Stories submitted should not exceed 2,000 words. Up to four poems may be submitted. There is no entry fee. Writers whose work is selected will receive 120 euros for fiction and 60 euro for poetry. You can email your entry preferably as a word document to newirishwriting at independent.ie, all one word. Please make sure to include your name, address and contact number, as well as a brief biographical paragraph. Only writers who have yet to publish their first book can be considered. Thank you and good luck with your writing.